You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Julia Kunin. Julia, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Julia, we're talking on November 8th. It's Election Day, and um, so we're going to talk about your work uh, at Mother Gallery uh, in a recent show. But I, I feel like since we were talking about it a little bit before the interview, I should pause for a minute. This is because this is kind of a huge day, potentially a, a, a traumatic day or a day of um, exaltation. I don't know. Uh, how, are, how are you feeling today about all of this? Well, I am pretty nervous about it. And what I can say is that I've been going to Hungary since 2009, which we can get into. And now Viktor Orban is, you know, presiding over that country and is pretty much a dictator and gradually through democratic processes got rid of democracy in that country. And so we know it's doable. Of course, they were a fledgling democracy. And we know that the instruments to dismantle what we've taken for granted are really here. They're available, those instruments. And it's, it's, it's confounding at, on the one hand. Um, on the other hand, as an artist, I mean, I see myself as an activist and an artist. And at least with the art, we have still, I think, or I feel I have the freedom to express the ideas I want to express in my work. And in Hungary, that really is not the case. I hope we hold on to what we do have. I hope so, too. And so, Hungary, um, why, why were you going there so often? Well, truth be told, um, in, well, in 2009, I needed a change and was seeking out, um, well, interested in working in porcelain, and I found out about a residency in Ketchkamate. But while I was uh, researching, you know, thinking of going, I was at the Strand, and the Strand at the time was my Google. So I would sit down at the Strand bookstore in New York and pull out books on ceramics and glass, and I found this book called The Jolnai Manufacturing. And I opened this book, and I saw the most astounding and gorgeous luster glazes that were psychedelic, made at the turn of the century. And I said to myself, I want this. I want to be able to do this. So that began this whole search for what I would maybe call the Holy Grail of being able to use these luster glazes. And so it's been a long road. Um, <laughs> and the pieces at Mother Gallery were made in 2015 and 2016. And I eventually did get access to that factory. Wow. So I, I wanted to talk about that, and it's great to to discuss that in the context of your work, um, which so there's images of here, like Chambered Rainbow and others, which seem to really mm-hmm. embody some of that. So, so what happened? You went there, you got access to this factory, and, and, and what did you learn there? Because it, that seems like, yeah, a very unusual process, but I imagine they were doing it for some kind of commercial reasons, or, or was it a, a residency-type situation? Well, it was not a residency. The thing that I just want to make, make clear is that when I first went, I didn't know any Hungarian and I had to communicate with people in German. I was given the opportunity to visit the factory because the person at the residency knew someone who used to work there. And he said, oh, just meet me there. And I didn't know what to expect. Um, But at that time, they let me do some tests 
in the factory. And then I thought to myself, wow, this is amazing. It was mind-blowing. I got to see work from the turn of the century that they had in their museums. And I saw the tchotchkes that they sold at their store, which were basically um, glitzy, you know, even Elvises. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself, I can really use this. And so the tests were unbelievable. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll just see if I can get an artist residency. Well, it's not as easy as that. It didn't work out. And long story short, I ended up working in the studio of this friend, Shandor Doban, in the town of Page, where the factory exists. And we kind of went around the back and brought pieces in and had them glazed because he had a relationship with the factory. But it really took years before I was able to work in the factory. And yes, I paid for the clay, I paid for the firings, and I paid for the glazing, which they did. And I was eventually able to work there, but it wasn't really until I learned Hungarian that I could access it. And also, it wasn't until, it's a, such a long story, my friend Chandra and I came up with this idea of putting together an exhibition in New York of artists who worked at that factory. And because Shondor had given me this amazing gift of letting me work in his studio for free. I had asked him what he would like, and he said he wanted more exhibitions. So that motivated me to work on that. And as a result, the Joel Knife Factory was more open to me, and we did an exhibition there and an exhibition here. So that was 2011. And then I went back as a Fulbright a scholar in 2013 and also taught at the University of Page and then went back every summer after that and sometimes even spring break, winter break. But the truth is just I want to make it clear that the luster glaze recipe is um, a secret and proprietary to the factory. They would not give me the recipe. They were very, very suspicious of me for a long time. Uh, and I also found someone in Hungary who is a ceramic engineer who has been working on developing these glazes for decades. They are su suspicious of him. He would not give me the recipe. There are people out there like Greg Daly who has written an excellent book on luster glazes and others, maybe one other person I recently found who teaches workshops in Israel. But I decided to go the route of Hungary. This was before I knew about Greg Daly's book, and it just was sort of one adventure after the other. Um, but the exciting thing was really being able to work there and be influenced by all the artwork that I saw around me in the factory and in the town of Page and in Hungary in my travels. So what work were you seeing? It's a great story. I love you telling this story. It seems to give really interesting context to your work and, and, and process. So what were you seeing around the factory? You're seeing other types of the types of work besides like the tchotchkes you're talking about, the Elvises, what else were you seeing? Yeah, what's really interesting is during the 70s and maybe even the 80s, the socialist government actually encouraged artists to work in factories. And the Jolnai factory welcomed that. They have a history of working with artists dating back to the turn of the century where they made one-of-a-kind artist pieces and they won fairs that you know, they won prizes at World's Fairs, like Turin um, and Paris. But on the walls of the factory where I walked, you know, sort of in this maze from day to day, there are wall pieces hanging. And a couple of them had figures on them and busts and others were lions. And these are basically deep relief, chunky, gorgeous ceramic wall 
pictures, as it were. That's the direct translation from Hungarian. It's falikepek, means wall pictures. And slowly that imagery kind of entered my consciousness. And not only that imagery, but I would say third or fourth generation bad Picasso um, copies, you know, sort of Picasso-esque works that were done during the socialist times. And those works depicted basically scenes of labor or the family. And if an artist was depicting scenes like that, they were able to use these more abstracted figuration. And so I wanted to make a statement about, this is a long explanation, but I was influenced by that work. And I just want to say before I say more about what I made, is that I do not support the government that supported those pieces and those artists, but I do know that some of those artists did have some leeway to express themselves within the confines of a commission. Well, that's so fascinating, and, um, and, and I think this is a very important story to tell for a whole number of reasons. Um, one, because it is election night, and this is a, um, yeah. you know, kind of telling what can happen, but also so fascinating, the kind of roots of that factory and, and, and your process and how that relates to your process and, and just the adventure of getting in there. So let's, let's talk about, um, for example, Chambered Rainbow, which I mentioned before. Um, this was uh, made at the factory. Is, is that correct? Well, this particular one was not, but it's the only piece. Uh, oh, the ones that were made in the factory in the show were the um, ones that relate to the clocks, orange clock, green clock, and copper hammer. But I'm happy to talk about Chambered Rainbow because they are all, you know, related. This particular piece, com- oh, did you want to ask a specific question about no, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's talk about Chambered Rainbow, and then we'll get on to the others because it relates to them, right? The glazes in that are yes, also... Yeah. Uh, yeah, not, so not, this, not, not close, but they relate to the, what was happening in the factory, right? Yes, very much so. And these, um, this was done by this uh, ceramic engineer that I worked with, the glazes were, but I was starting to do a lot of drawings that were related to portraits. And the drawings became more and more abstract and surreal. I was also looking at surreal work that was made in the 60s and 70s. And on the other wall pieces, I have an infrastructure on the back that looks kind of like a grid or an armature. And I decided, well, I'm going to just turn this inside out and show the armature on the front and have the, and kind of raise the lines of my drawing to create these passageways and pathways within the piece so that the glaze would rest in the recesses. And then I began to draw even within the recesses. But there are images of eyeballs and keyholes and mouths and um, sort of attempt at, or my interest in sensuality with a a bit of, you know, tongue-in-cheek thrown in. But I also want to add about this piece that it is sort of, it's a double portrait because you could turn it upside down or right side up. And a lot of my portraits, my pieces are multiple portraits, portraits of multiple beings, as it were. And so since we're talking about the, the, the beings before moving on to the other things, yeah, who are they portraits mm-hmm. of? These, um, well, like you say, there's a surrealist element to this, but they're, they're also characters that inhabit your, your world or studio regularly, right? Right. Some of these are really sort of um, love letters within a work. 
And so the double portrait would be myself and a person I was involved in a relationship with or someone else. But, and in that, conceptually, I was thinking about Marston Hartley's work. And you can see that also in other totemic works of mine in that his letter, I think it's letter to a German, no, portrait of a German officer was really a love letter to um, a young German soldier who died in World War One that he was in love with. And so it's basically coded homoeroticism. And that is another thing that I've been thinking about. It's not that I feel that I need to hide the homoeroticism by any means. It's just that it emerges in my work, whether I like it or not. And when I do this sort of idea of twinning and double portrait, to me that doubling implies a homoerotic relationship. And some oh of them God, are more so specifically about... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, yes. No, some of them are more specifically about what? Well, some of them, are, you can say, homoerotic, but others are more specifically about lesbian visibility. And getting back to Hungary and my experiences there, when I was there, what happened was I was there... In, things changed in 2013. This is a time when Orban's party won the majority and changed the constitution. And, and you can also fact check, but I'm pretty sure it was 2013. At that time, I was there for a long period when I had my Fulbright. And I, the sexism and the homophobia and the antisemitism was getting to me on a personal level. Even if I heard minor comments, even if I could not be out at all in the factory or in most places, it started to kind of wear on me that I couldn't be myself. And so I just decided to revisit work I did in the 1990s that was specifically about lesbian visibility and insert some of the symbols from that time period, and one of which is a keyhole, sort of reclaiming the power to look oneself, not just being looked at, but being able to, you know, gaze at others. So that's the way that I arrived at coming back to work that had to deal with sexual identity and sensuality. And at times I'm really not, I'm interested in going beyond the gender binary and other times it's very specifically female. So let's talk about one of those works. Would that be um, something like Psychedelic Body, right? Yes, yes. That's very much. First of all, I have to say that was so much fun to make. And it's very body and really in your face in a fun way. And, and that was made at the factory, correct? Was that made at the factory? That, yeah, that was actually made, by, glazed by my friend. And that one I made in Brooklyn and transported in uh, suitcases to Hungary, which is kind of nuts, but I have done that several times. Wait a minute, um, so you transported it to Hungary to glaze and, and then yes. brought it back to Brooklyn? Yeah, so I would high fire the work. It's a stoneware because I know that high fire work is more is stronger and I would, you know, pack it in styrofoam and foam and this and that. And in fact, I have these metal cases that I would bring them in and just pray that TSA wouldn't, you know, unpack them or something or balk at them. And then I would have them glazed and then I would crate them very carefully for the return journey by cargo. So, so let's I've, talk about I this have work a lot of experience now. Yeah, that's a great story and kind of amazing. So 
Um, you, you brought this back to the factory and, and talking about like what you were dealing with at the factory or, or the lack of openness or freedom to, to be exactly who you are. Um, how did this particular piece figure into that? Did they, did they not talk about the content there or was there any discussion there or was that not part of what happened there? That's a really excellent question. With this particular piece, the factory didn't glaze it. My friend, the ceramic engineer, did. But I have been concerned about that in the past with the works that I've made that are clearly sexualized. And luckily, they have not bat an eye. I think that we have to, I have to give the craftspeople there more credit you know, than we often give them, which is that they thought they were fun and surreal and, and humorous. And I was able to get away with this without going into any political diatribe but that it was my work was appreciated because it was different and I think it was kind of a nice relief you know something different for them in you know as opposed to glazing uh, 10 little you know ceramic mice or something so right <laughs> but it is it yeah it's been a concern and I've had to keep my life more private there you know but that's okay uh, for now, I oh, mean, so copper, so, so so copper hammer might be one of those pieces, right? That's kind yeah. of in, in in between, and and copper hammer. Uh, there should be images of all of these here, um, or people can find them. But copper hammer um, was made at the factory. Yeah, and orange, well, mainly orange clock and green clock, and those glazes. I just want to say are pretty extraordinary. I don't know if you had a chance to see them in person, but um, they are a matte glaze and the process that the factory uses is an acid-based process and because there's an underglaze and an overglaze and then the acid process on top of that these came out really in a surprisingly extraordinary way because there are layers and depths of color and there's a lot of I'm just talking about the technical now but I'm very interested in surfaces and surface texture and the glaze just worked perfectly with this. And yes, they are sexualized. They are portraits of women and nudes, as it were, busts. Um, and one of them really was a copy of or influenced by work by this Hungarian artist who used to work at the factory. And his name was Fus George. So that would be George Fus, I guess, in, in our language, in English, I mean. <laughs> And I was so taken with a portrait that he made for the factory. And I wrote about it in Hyperallergic a long time ago. But basically, I thought it was just something generic that he made for the factory. Um, this woman that he made had extra huge breasts, as it were. But it turns out it actually looks like his wife. So he was inserting the personal into something that was factory made. And I wanted to really emulate that really bold sexuality in, in these pieces. It's, it's, it's so great to hear these stories from you and to go through this. Um, thanks so much for, for talking about all of this. I, I want to ask you one more question before we go, which is a little off topic. Uh, what are you reading at the moment? Okay, that is a great question because I just finished a book that you probably may have heard of called Matrix by Lauren Groff. And that is a novel about an abbey and an abbess who creates, in a sense, her own female realm and world 
Um, it takes place in the 12th century, and I think escaping to the 12th century was wonderful for a while, except, you know, it doesn't end that well. Um, and then I am reading a book called Queer Budapest by Anita Kurame, and it's Queer Budapest, 1873 to 1961, published by the University of Chicago Press. Uh, she's a professor at Bryn Mawr, and I'd love to reach out to her because I'm really interested in how uh, queer life and was sort of negotiated in Hungary because it's, it's very difficult right now. Thank you so much, Julia, for talking with me today. I really appreciate your work, these wonderful stories you've told in the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really appreciate the interview. Thank you so very much. And uh, have a great night. Let's hope it's a good night. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.